Hi, my name is Ben, and I'm here to talk about a serious issue with this podcast. Due to me having a friendship with Cleon that began with us both having an inappropriate relationship with Spider-Man, we decided to start our loop of the third podcast by talking about Into the Spider-Verse for like 15 minutes instead of Lupin. So, if you think the best movie of 2018 sucks, and you're here for the discussion on the best television of 2018, skip to like 16 minutes into this podcast, plus however long I've just spent talking. Or don't. I'm not your dad. So, did you enjoy the best Spider-Man movie of all time? Um, Somehow beating even Venom. (laughs) Hey, did you end up watching Venom? Look, I did. I watched it in Japan on IMAX and I paid about 50 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) And... I didn't hate it, to be honest. I thought there's nothing in this movie that I could endure or survive. It was actually structured really well for a movie, and the the way they pitched Venom being like a slapstick counterpart to Tom Hardy worked in a bizarre way. Yeah, I found it, like, it actually had a style... Because I thought initially it was just going to be like grungy, mainstream action movie. But I actually felt that it carved out a style that was quite unique and interesting. Like, I don't know if I'm that invested in this world, but like I I had an okay time. It's very generic cinematography. Their choice of colour scheme makes no sense. Yeah. Why would, in the first Venom movie, would you have a black symbiote fight another black symbiote? That was like garbage, so liquid, bad. burnt milk mm, fight. It mm. disgusting. <laughs> burnt milk fight. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I don't know, like some kid stuck dirt up his nose and like, sneezed out that boss fight. Like, yeah. it was ridiculous. But, it was, yeah. there was like charm to it. I feel like the directors were self-aware enough to know how dumb a Venom movie without Spider-Man would be. And so they took the time to build up characters that could work for its own little insular community of like homeless people, and uh, I, I like the the ex girlfriend character because yes, she that made the movie act as like a inverted Spider Man film. Uh, you've got like shots of Venom symbiote on like rooftops, and like you expect that to be a heroic shot of like Spider Man, but just Venom looking disgusting. You've got that upside no, it's not upside down, but you've got a kiss that to me is like the inversion of the yes. Sony uh, Peter Parker Mary Jane's upside down Spider Man kiss. But it's disgusting tentacles coming out of their mouths. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about what the Spider-Man porn parody did with the Upside Down Kiss? Yes, you <laughs> have unfortunately told me this. <laughs> I still think the Venom Kiss is gross. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty wild. I did like how Venom, like, it became like this buddy story. Yeah, right? Which is really interesting because Venom is supposed to be like you know, um, a symbol of Peter's um, impulses, lack of responsibility. But in this, it's actually about how they both help each other become better people, which was just surprisingly endearing for what I thought the film was going to be at the start. I didn't expect Venom to have so much personality. I thought maybe they would work into that when they ran out of ideas, but I was for sure if a Western uh, kind of, you know, Hollywood kind of movie is going to approach the Venom property they're gonna do just the grungy alien slime that no one can yeah. relate to but they know they gave him all the funny one-liners they had him deliver it very deadpan mm. which contrasts tom hardy freaking out it was yeah enjoyable i would watch the sequel yeah and i feel gross saying that well the sequel can we just talk about that secret ending which oh, is maybe can we though the greatest thing i've ever seen in cinema which is that 
I mean, look, as soon as they were going up to the prison, I'm like, okay, we're going to get Cletus Cassidy. I, right? I, I thought he was the bad guy in this one. I was shocked we didn't see Carnage in this film. Nah, I knew that they would um, allude to Cletus, but they, they would They clearly want to maximise Carnage's presence. Yeah, yeah. Have maximum Carnage. <laughs> I didn't see what you were doing, but you do that <laughs> dumb smile that you do every single time. So much. You have, and I was like, why is he, oh no. It's because you used a different, like you used it as like a noun or a verb. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Fake out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's a, <laughs> it's a neat Pokemon attack. Um, so yeah. And I was thinking, oh yeah, cool. Cletus. And I just never thought of like, okay, it'll be an interesting actor. Oh as yeah. Cletus no, Cassidy. I just thought, dumb. They haven't thought through the longevity no. of the franchise. No. And then they'll have them in the sequel and have too much screen time and they'll suck. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it'll be just generic actor. Cletus Cassidy, whatever, like, the, you know, the comic book readers yeah. will understand who it is. But I started screaming when we see that it's fucking Ubuntu. Ronald McDonald cosplay. Right. I, you told me that that was the most wild part of the movie. Yeah. You're like, the ending is buck wild. It's just film. the wildest. You love it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll see. And then I got there, I'm like, I don't understand what's still to tell in this movie, what's going to happen. I was... I'm like, are they going to introduce a villain and the team up? I thought I was still explaining like a stupid expanded universe. Yeah. But yeah, then I see this guy. I'm like, why is there like a live action um, sideshow Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? And then I'm like, oh wait, that's Ubuntu. What? what? What the? <laughs> what? <laughs> I just what, what drugs are people at Sony doing? Right. What? Like the fact that okay, like moving into I think what we originally wanted to talk about was Spider Verse. How? Who are making these decisions? Yeah, where did this come from? Is this the same Amy Pascal <laughs> who was sending emails around the office trying to ask Marvel, oh, would it be okay if Doc Ock stole a dinosaur from the Savage Land for our next Spider-Man 4? Would it be okay for Aunt May to be a super spy and have her own movie? Yeah, should we do a spin-off movie about Aunt May? Although they did sneak that into Spider-Verse. Uh, so. Yeah, she was cute. Yeah. She was totally and, and like, that cute. because it was its own universe. Yeah. Like, the strength of Spider-Verse is... They could do all these things and break all the rules because there's other universes with yeah. no consequence. I, I think I would not want Venom to be a character in the next, like, Spider-Verse movie. Like, th- oh, that continuity no. yeah. kind of thing. I don't want, like, Venom to be a villain yeah. um, in particular because I think I want them to explore the whole multiverse thing yeah. uh, more ongoing. Um, but since it's all Sony... I would actually dig having Tom Hardy voice Venom to be one of the Spider-Versal people in a sequel. What do you think about that idea? Would you allow, like, a variant of Venom as, like, like, uh, Agent Venom having some screen time? Yes. I feel like Agent Venom is a character that could work so well in a movie, but they've stuffed up every introduction. He's not going to fit in the MCU. He's not going to fit in Sony. But... You could have him have a role in Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, because, I mean, they made Gwen work because you don't really need to know who Gwen Stacy is as a character for Peter Parker, so you can technically well, do... What if they did Eddie do Venom Brock. Gwen, though? Gw- Gwenom? Gwenom. That costume is amazing. It's so cool <laughs> it's that the hoodie has the teeth. It's so dumb. Yeah. It's the edgiest pile of, like, pop-punk garbage. Yes, but <laughs> it's so... It it's works, so cool. man. Yeah, cool. I really like it. You know, I only realised, because I've actually read a fair bit of Spider-Gwen. I haven't caught up. Um, by the way, Spider-Gwen isn't too bad. Um, their version of the Kingpin is awesome. Do you want me to tell you who it is? Yes. It's Matt Murdock. So Matt Murdock... Oh, I did know this. Yeah, yeah. Matt Murdock is basically Gwen's 
like arch nemesis. Like right. it's he is her yeah. green goblin, whatever. Which is interesting because Matt Murdock's always had that ability to become a massive dick. Exactly. Uh, and to play that up in another universe is interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It works really well. It works for like the parts of Matt Murdock who which does have like a mental illness and everything yeah. like that, except in this he's much more conniving, manipulative and just straight up evil. Um I forgot what I was talking about. Anyways, yes, so if you can make Gwen Stacy work as a alternate universe character without actually explaining who or what Gwen Stacy is in relation to Peter Parker mm. in the Spider-Verse movie, I think you could actually do a really good um, what's it called? Uh, Flash Thompson, Agent Venom. Yeah. You know, I think they can just do one of those montage things. Mm. Um, and I think the audience would buy it, for Definitely. sure. I, I, I don't think they'll do this. I think Miles is too much of an important character in their opinion to do this. Yeah. The sequels will still be about Miles. Yeah. But honestly, the Spider-Verse, you could do a sequel movie and focus on a different variant of Spider-Man. Like Gwen Stacy get her in movie, you could do an Age of Venom in it. They would all connect and Yeah. Fit. Apparently, um I don't know if it's the sequel to Spider-Verse or it's like just another movie that's gonna be in that universe. But they're gonna make it like a mainly female cast. So it's Oh, this be... has been in the talk for ages. No no no, but this is directly related to Spider-Verse. Really? Yeah, so it's gonna be um, Gwen, which is why, like, they didn't give too much of Gwen yeah, away. I felt like that was they, sitting on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently, like, and I, rather than a spin-off movie, I would just like this to be the sequel. Yeah. Where rather than a Miles-centric sequel, yeah. it's a Gwen-centric sequel with Miles um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a similar role yeah, to what Gwen was work. in this. With um, Silk, and apparently this is this yeah. kind of confirmed, where Silk is going to be there and um, Jessica. the other female Spider-Men are as strong. Um, I think you could... Have you, read, um, have you read the latest Spider-Woman series that was on, where she has the kid yeah, and she's like a PI? I, I hear that's very good. It's very good. No, but it's amazing. But yeah. I don't really consider Spider-Woman to be a Spider-Man She isn't really, yeah. is she? Yeah, no, that's... That's fair. Yeah. That's a fair... Yeah, yeah. I what mean, do you think? What? Did, have we ever spoken about Silk? What, what are your thoughts on Silk? I hated her. Yeah. She was shoehorned in and became really confusing because she mm. becomes a villain or is that an alternate universe? That's an alternate universe. So Silk See, is uh, a super villain in Gwen's universe. Yeah, if, if you're leaning on an evil clone version of a clone character... Yeah. What? I feel that character's not interesting enough on their own. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was interesting to have a character who, like, you know, got bit by the same spider. Yeah. Well, the the setup like for that, that was... Um, Ezekiel. The, no, no, no. Oh, I mean, yes, but it was the, the secrets of it. No more... Oh, what was it called? Um, no more secrets, do no evil. It was the Watcher one, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, yeah. event is, I think really interesting in Marvel's line of events because that's the one I think is the most interesting and had the most potential yeah. and they all squandered it all on such irrelevant unimportant secrets and it, I think Spider-Man yeah. was the most interesting and oh the spider bit someone else you didn't know this whole time Yeah, that, that could have been good but yeah. I just think Cindy Moon had no personality I, I have read her in some other stuff and she's fun um, I just don't think Dan Slott wrote her very well. I mean, that's possible, yeah. I mean, yeah. her whole arc in that was just every time Peter smelt her, they would bang yeah. on the ceiling above yeah. MJ, and that was just uncomfortable. An idea I just had right now is we don't necessarily need the Peter Parker, like the um, uh, Jack Johnson. Fuck, what's that guy's name? 
whatever. Anyways, the Peter Parker that we had in Spider-Verse, the, um, you know, um, mid-40s one. I know, but I love him. I love him, He's but so but I think we need some space away from him because we need to see him once he has a Mayday. Yes. You know? I would like to see the, a bit of a time skip, maybe, because the universe is online. Yeah, 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 yeah. When Miles goes back, he's got a daughter that's yeah, ready and to she's be already... Or he meets in an alternate timeline what his daughter will grow yeah. up to be. So, my idea for still having a Peter in Miles' universe is rather than doing an alternate universe Peter, what if it's a Ben Riley that's, like, been cryogenically frozen? And so then oh, we like have left like he's the Ben Riley from that universe. But yes. left Oh, that's interesting. So like uh, that's so, going really deep. It's into going the, really uh, deep. Web, yeah. And we don't really necessarily need to have it for the next movie, but maybe like one more after, and then you have like the inverse where Miles is teaching a version of Peter how to be Spider Man. Oh, yeah. You know what else cool scene you do with that? You could have a fight scene where Gwen's fighting Gwen clones, like Spider Gwen yeah. is just beating up other Gwens. Just right in her 1960s face. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be really good. Um, I Yeah, the possibilities are endless. And then, then she beats up all the clones, right? She hated that whole scenario. And she's just like, never a Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was sure you were going somewhere. I would never imagined in any universe. <laughs> so you, you actually thought of that, like, yeah, what, like... like Three minutes before? No, no, just then. On the just spot, then. That, wow. Yeah, just whipped it right out of my mouth. It works because we have Spider Gwen, Gwen and... And everyone hates the clone saga. Yeah. I mean, you love it. No, I you? like... No, I like the idea of that era. Of yeah. I like the art from the era. Yeah. I like how dumb and convoluted it got. Yeah. But the fact that it's dumb and convoluted mm. is not mm. good. Also, it is really, really sad that this universe's version of Mary Jane is a widow. Like, I feel yeah. really bad for her. Well, I like that, because that's what the Ultimate Universe was like. Yeah, but no, but then he came back. Yeah, and that was weird. <laughs> that was really I don't really weird. understand how that happened. Which is actually, no, because it's their version of, oh no, no, their, their version of Ben Riley's female was he Peter, was in it? a cocoon and came Yeah, up? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they explain Anytime that. Anytime Peter goes in a cocoon, it's, yeah. it's me up. It, it, is, it is a bit sad that we probably won't have a really good Norman Osborn story. Because he's already like yeah. Dragon Goblin Norman, and I just don't well, see that working. Was he well. from their universe? Yeah, was yeah, he, he was dragged in when they did a test. No, okay, no, no. This was, was this version. Kind of under the impression that was the twenty ninety nine Goblin that they pulled in, and that wasn't fully explored. No, because no, Peter okay. Peter addresses him as Norman, right? So that like um Chris Pine Peter addresses him as Norman, so he's he already familiar. Him. Yeah, right. the only villain that didn't exist prior to this movie was Doc Ock. Yes. Because that Doc Ock reveal was like, okay, cool, yeah. she's Doc Ock. I picked Ock. that up straight away. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a nerdy learner girl scientist. She's going to be Doc Ock. Really? Yeah, I only away. got that, like, also, maybe right like, before the reveal. Like, the scene is framed that someone's head is standing in the way, and her name is, like, Olivia O. And then he I never, the I and never. Like, she's Doc Ock. Yeah. Doc Ock's always a female in these weird crossovers. So the thing is, see, I never picked that up because I was like, wow, this universe is so established that I just automatically assumed Dr. Octopus would be classic, proper Dr. Octopus already done in this world in jail somewhere. Mm. Because, like, this Chris Pine Peter Parker is a Peter Parker that's, like, been around the block a fair bit, and so all of his villains are already established. So I didn't think that, like, you know, Doc Ock, who's kind of basically one of the core Spider-Man characters... To not be established already. I mean, I he guess. could have been. And this he is could just have been. A yeah. Lady following in yeah. his footsteps. 
um, improving his technology mm, or whatever. Mm, mm. But yeah, I don't think it's too important. Mm. But do you think we could see su- superior Spider-Man? I was just gonna ask. To play? I think they could. I think they could from um, uh, Nick from New Girls, Peter Parker's universe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think from that universe, like it's traditional oh, arc. You, I mean, this is getting a bit complicated, but you could tell a story where. He's been swapped out for Ock, and Miles and Miles doesn't thinks know, he's Peter. And he's just being a dick, and, yeah. and Miles like, "What the hell's wrong? You're not being a hero." Yeah. And that could that be interesting. That would be good. I My... just want to see like some actor just have fun being yeah. Otto Octavius in Spider-Man's body, just be completely up themselves, trying yeah. to be better than Miles, give rivalry to Miles. Yeah. yeah, the possibilities are really endless, and yeah, there are just so many Peter Parkers to choose from. Though they did they did do a fair bit already in this one, which was mm. really great. Alright, so, wanting to get into it then? Yes, welcome to our podcast about Lupin the Third. (laughs) (laughs) Roll the theme music. Alright, welcome back everyone. Hi, we Claire. are <laughs> Hi. Hi. I don't think we've been hanging I don't think out there's all day. Many people in this room but you and me, so then you have to welcome back everyone. I'm assuming that when people listen, they're listening oh, in like an listeners. auditorium. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, they're listening in an auditorium. They're just playing it from a single UE boom speaker. Yeah, that's well, like Bluetooth connected to someone's like, phone. Midwifery, and there's mm. all these diagrams of babies being born, and exactly. lecturers like, "Does anyone have any interesting facts about babies?" And someone's put their hand up and like, "Oh, I've got this dope ass podcast." Uh, about babies and how they're made and then they plugged in their iPhone and this has come on very embarrassingly yeah. and we're now just being spoken to a bunch of uni students who are furiously taking notes about how to birth us yeah exactly because obviously this person has to be a weeb and when they were driving over in their car yeah. they were playing it and you know how there's that whole bluetooth thing where like it automatically plays what you're listening to before? oh yeah yeah when I did my last um, clinical placement for Redacted profession. Oh, I love that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was listening to the podcast Harmontown. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I w- had to drive my supervisor during the uh, placement, and what turned on was immediately him talking about coming on someone's face. So, oh, yeah. I don't think we should use that for the podcast. No, that's the intro now. So, what's this uh, podcast actually about, Cleon? Welcome. Can you remember? Welcome. I'm Cleon. I'm Ben. And we are Asinine Lupin. Yeah. So, we are a Lupin the Third podcast. I feel like we kind of have to reintroduce ourselves because it's been a hot minute since we've recorded. It has been the longest hot minute of the last six months (laughs) since (laughs) the last episode. You know, one minute is 60 seconds, uh, half a year is six months. There's there's some sort of continuity. There are three sixes. sixes. Um, So, what have we been doing in this time? Why have we not been devoting all our attention and time to a podcast about a niche Japanese anime? That's set in France. We both went to Japan, actually. That's true. You know? We were so busy enjoying Japanese culture, we didn't have time to enjoy Japanese culture, and we went to Japan. Can I just say, one of the most amazing things that I saw in Japan 
was... And again, this is the only Lupin the Third stuff that I saw was that it was advertising that Lupin couldn't break into this bank and that was them advertising their That's bank so security. Good. Did you see any of those? No, I saw some posters in train stations, but I think it was for some kind of like a, an arch or something that was happening somewhere. I couldn't figure out exactly. Yeah. Um, I was surprised because I went to Japan... Um, for my honeymoon, so I also got married during this time. So it's been yes. a busy. It's been a busy year, yeah. Um, but um, uh, I didn't see much loop on stuff. But I went pretty close after part five. So I don't know if it isn't that popular in Japan, or if they just clean up merchandise yeah. very quickly once the seasons ended. I, but I saw more Kirby. Like much, I didn't realize uh, Kirby was so big there. But Lupin, I expected a bit more. I did buy some cool figures though, so yeah. Lupin sits on my shelf now. Yeah, I actually realized that I have both Lupin and Fujiko from Part Four, Ooh, which is quite nice. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it was. I thought it was really cool that the only Lupin stuff that I saw was ads for how good this yeah. bank security was, which is very that's you know, good advertising within aesthetic. Um. Though I mean. It's a lie, though. Lupin it's a lie. could break into this. <laughs> yeah. He can break into anything. I mean, as we will talk later on, his internet skills are definitely um, peak. Yeah. Quite peak. So, what we're going to do is, for the next couple of episodes in our podcast, we are going to be talking about Lupin the Third Part 5, which aired in 2018. Yes. Yep. Well, and that was a whole year ago now. Yeah. And, oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> And um, basically what we're going to do is um, the first couple of episodes are going to cover the major story arcs. Mm. So we will be skipping a couple of episodes here and there because the way that part five is structured is that they have four major story arcs and then they have like interstitial episodes yeah. in between. It's an odd structure because um, it's a really different to part four. Mm. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Which was like more, you know, episode of the week with some continuity. Yeah. Uh, part five, yeah, very much breaks the mold on what you expect from Lupin. But I think it's quite good because it kind of services some of the new fans who want that long form story. Mm. And then it kind of services the classic fans who, you know, traditionally in Lupin, they have been more one off stories. Yeah. So I think it's a really nice balance. Um, for a season that, as we will be going towards our podcast, this season is very much um, a meta-analysis of oh, Lupin yeah. III from the last 50 years. It's the most... It's probably the most meta piece of pop culture that I've ever consumed, actually, yeah. now that I think about it. Um, and we will be going into why we think it's that way, because I don't know I don't know if a lot of the audience for this season felt the same way that we felt about no, it. No, it was a bit of... I feel like we uncovered, like, buried treasure with this season. <laughs> like, we had a hunch that maybe gold was buried here, and we just started yes. taking a few pot shot diggings, yeah. and we, we struck it. We figured out what the core of this mm. season was, and why they did it this way, and why they told this Lupin story. Exactly. And it was just, yeah, a huge payoff for us. Yeah, yeah it, it is a shame that we didn't start the podcast when the show began. No, I thought it's going to be a bit raw and yeah, real, but we were too yeah. busy watching it. Exactly. And, you know, again, people... You may have listened to our pilot episode, you may just be picking up with this episode, but part of why we're doing this podcast is because of how introspective, reflective, and meta Part 5 was. We had so much fun Mm. talking about what Lupin was, what it means to us, what it might be going forward that we decided, hey, why don't we just take these chats, put it on a podcast, and see whether people that are part of this really insular fan base um, dig it too. Or if you're not, go watch Lupin. Watch it's it. Good. Watch Lupin the Third. <laughs> Maybe start with Cagliostro. Cagliostro. It's on Netflix. Everyone has Netflix now. Don't yeah. complain. 
It's there. It hasn't been taken by Disney or anything. It's still there. Yeah. Go watch it. It's a Miyazaki film. Exactly. Same you're watching did. Totoro and then get smacked in the face by cool uh, Master Thief stuff. Yeah, I think that... I mean, again, okay, detracting, but I think it is the easiest way to sell Lupin to someone because... Miyazaki made it. Yeah, Miyazaki made it. Everyone knows, well, most people kind of know about Spirited Away and Ponyo and stuff. So I think it's a great way to go, hey, you know this really niche weeb thing? It actually does connect to this kind of, you know, Japanese Pixar thing that everyone kind of knows about. So I think it's a really good in. Do you know, this is also a slight tension, but do you know the really sad thing that never happened in our timeline? What? Miyazaki, yeah. the Ghost in the Shell guy, yeah. and a Final Fantasy artist that does the really good watercolor art for Final Fantasy. Yeah, we're going to do a Lupin movie together. <gasps> it fell through and never happened. It oh would have been God. the most stunningly gorgeous oh. movie. It would have come some point in the eighties, and then yeah. it fell through. Side another side note, and a pr- we promise, audience, we will get back on track. I would love to see a Mamoru Hosoda Lupin the Third movie. So he's the guy who did like Summer Wars. Oh and stuff. yes. That would be so good. Yeah. yeah. I'd like them to do another movie. I think that'd yeah. be a good way to continue the series. Yeah, and I think having different directors and art styles um, would be really, mm. really good too. Okay, so back onto it. Yeah. So we have been on hiatus for a while, but we're going to try and release an episode every two to three weeks. Yeah. Does that sound doable for yeah. us? Yeah. To a month, wherever we can. Yeah. Yeah. We might end up having to do monthly, but if we are doing something monthly, then we'll make it an extra long episode. Um, We're going to try and endeavor to not only talk about the later season, but stuff that comes out. Which is very few and far between, but you know, more but current material. We, we seem to be getting pretty lucky because as we put together the plans to reboot this, we did find out there's a new Lupin special coming out in like 10 days. Yes. Like, it's amazing when this show gives a gift of more of it. Yeah, and we'll try and release that episode within a month of when it's yeah, released. Yeah. We're going to try and be optimistic. But I think because there's such a treasure trove of Lupin from the past, there's, you know, over 100 episodes from the first three parts that we've kind of dipped our toes in, but we haven't I like, really explored. Yeah, watched in any sort of analytical fashion so I think it'll be really nice for us to revisit that and kind of you know retrospectively talk about what Lupin was doing and also talk about how it became what part 5 is which is a very retrospective series in general so, um, I guess we can get started then, Sure, hey? yeah. Yeah, so, uh, the first story arc encompasses the first five episodes. Yes. And I think I'm just going to go through a rough cliff notes and right. feel free to, I guess, add in as we go. So, it um, starts off with some very enigmatic figures who are looking up who Lupin is. and On Wikipedia. On Wikipedia, basically on, on uh, anime Wikipedia. And it's interesting because they actually talk about what is Lupin, um, you know, who is he to current society? And yeah, they just mentioned some really interesting things about him being this enigmatic, mysterious figure. And you get some interesting details there, mm. which we noticed today when we rewatched it, mm. is that you see characters from the previous series of Lupin, you see clips from the original series yes. of Lupin, like the older stuff from yes. 50 years ago. Yes. And that's really important because Lupin hasn't really demonstrated this form of continuity before no. but right off the bat that's how they choose to start the show is yes everything that's happened in the past that you've watched has probably still happened yes so we are doing something that has this 
huge history behind it um, and also saying that there is a bit of a legacy to the story mm. that we're starting. And the bad guy is connecting that together himself. Exactly. Um, and then we cut to Lupin and Jigen chilling in France. They, they've rented like this little villa in... This beautiful little yeah. vine-covered house. Very yeah. French, yeah. Yeah, and it looks like French Venice because there's all yes. of these kind of like little waterways. canals and cafes. And, mm. yeah. and I don't know if we saw this at, in part when they had their little Italian hideout, but um, they're basically pretending to be like an old couple. Almost, yeah, like old, right. I, th- I think they did do something similar in part four. Oh, did uh, they? I think okay, it with the costumes. Very much that. Yeah. Okay, I don't. I don't remember that in particular, but yeah, I really liked how you know they're that this is kind of them on their downtime. Like yes. this is how they holiday because obviously Lupin is a somewhat known figure. He's a criminal, yeah. a world star criminal. So well, star world class. Jesus. He's not a hotel. Uh, he's a world-class criminal. He's a five-star criminal. <laughs> <laughs> five out of five stars. Would watch again. Or maybe four out of five, because he probably never left a tip. <laughs> True. He probably stole. stole <laughs> he took all the little soaps and talents. And no, then... actually, no, I would retract that. He would have tipped. Lupin would tip quite a lot, yes. I think. Because he stole the lobby fountain statue. <laughs> <laughs> True. And kind of probably inappropriately flirted with the owner's daughter. Yes. Yeah, probably did that. And probably groped the waitress in some capacity. Possibly. Part one Lupin would have been. He's a hero, guys. We promise promise he's actually a really endearing character, everyone. Um, So yeah, so they're just chilling in France and Lupin has bought some drugs from the internet, which is really strange. That was a weird way to open the show. Yeah, because again, Lupin, even though he's this really, um, you know, he's this world-class criminal, we actually don't see him do stuff like hardcore murder, drugs. The only vices he seems to have is women and cigarettes. Yeah, women, cigarettes, and occasionally alcohol, but it's, you know, I'm pretty sure that I drink that much alcohol. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it's, he's not buying the drugs to do because I'd like to think that he probably doesn't do any drugs. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so. I think yeah. he may have when he's had to blend in for a mission. Yeah. Maybe he's very young. Or to build up a tolerance. Yeah. You know, oh, to do yeah. that. He's obviously done a lot of like psychotoxins yeah. to avoid all the mind control villains. True. There was yeah. a whole series of Lupin based yeah. on In fact, that's how Fujiko yeah. is everyone being covered in drugs. Yeah. So. I guess if he's had exposure, but I think yes. he does it for leisure. No, no. So, um, but then Lupin explains that there's this online black market called Marco Polo, and now how in this world, and potentially our own world, I don't know enough about the black market. Could you elaborate more on this, Benjamin? Um, I believe there is this thing uh, called... Uh, oh, gosh. What's the, 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 what's Dark web? Dark web. But I like to call it the undernet. <laughs> <laughs> no one else calls it that I feel like that should catch on more <laughs> So you have the internet and you have the undernet No, the undernet is basically the side of the internet that's to do with fishing Because it's like you put the net under and then you catch the fish oh, okay. Oh, so was... the police use the undernets to catch the criminals in the dark web Anyway, you can use the internet access dodgy sites if you know what you're doing <laughs> And I think Lupin does smooth over that a little bit They don't really yeah. talk about Tor browsers or onions or anything that I don't know about police um, and they just focus on yeah. There's dark parts of the internet. If you try hard enough, you can buy whatever you want because the internet and it's free exchange mm. of ideas without mm. policing and very anonymous mm. uh, factions. And immediately the tone of the season changes oh, because definitely. we ha- we've started off and what's going to be the central impetus of this season is that it is about modernizing Lupin yes. for 2018. Now we're in 2019. Um, but it's modernizing Lupin. And so the first storyline is about, okay, what would a thief do 
in in our current time what yeah. what what would be something that they would steal and as Lupin kind of elaborates they're going to steal this vast mine of they, data they swap between saying digital currency and, and bitcoin and yes. the idea is that some kind of encrypted currency yeah so that's very contemporary because one yeah. bitcoin was only a thing last year and then crashed last year as well so yeah, um, yeah it's very new terrain for Lupin and from that first shot it sets this up because you see Lupin using a computer like mm. a high class you know, Mac-looking laptop. You see him using smartphones, and that's the first time we've seen him not use like a rotary phone. Yeah, or something. I mean, he's, he's used. He, he might have in part four. I but, think we might have had that. But like, you know, the show has always had that yeah. that Gotham thing of yeah. like you can't tell the era it's set in because all the technology is mixed together. Yes, but they distinctly showing modern technology. Yeah. In fact, they even show like a printer in one of the drawers yes. for a moment to say that technology has progressed yes. right now, and we're dealing with these themes right now. Yeah, and we get a very interesting comment from Jigen who's kind of you know um, kind of criticising what's happening he's like oh I don't know if I like the idea of stealing something I can't hold Yeah. Um, which again it's, it introduces that fact that okay what would if, if there was a master thief in 2018 2019 what would they steal what would be valuable yeah, well, yeah. you know because yes we've had this whole history of people stealing treasure people stealing from museums people stealing art but the most important resource in today's day and age is information mm. and access right and when you think about like how you would write like a modern day criminal and how you'd write a traditional mm. one like, mm. the fun and the thrill and the genre is in the game played breaking to a museum dodging yes. the guards even if you're slightly modern dodging the laser beams but these days you know if it's just cybercrime, you sit there you hack you get what you want <laughs> like yeah. there's no adventure to that so i can see where jigan's coming from being a very traditional guy of being like why do you want that? We can't hold that. We can't touch that. There's no reward and thrill gain from that. Yeah. So um, they formulate their plan. They go to this place called the Twin Towers, which is a... Um... little bit distasteful. Yeah, though, I mean, when was 9-11? 20 years ago nearly, it was hey? 911 years ago today. Wow. Uh, moving on. Sorry. Sorry, we should not have mentioned 9-11 on our freaking anime podcast. It's fine. Weebs love 9-11. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. Use a 9-11 passcode to get 10% off of an anime loot box. Please don't take us off the internet, Apple. We promise we're otherwise very wholesome. <laughs> anyway, so they go in. There's this, like, there's a lot of, like, very traditional sort of capery stuff. Lupin has this really cool hacking monocle. Yeah, um, that's an upgrade. He's used a monocle in the past to get information and readouts, but this one he can really hack and, and do things. Um, that you would expect a hacking monocle to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a whole screen, holographic yeah. kind of layouts he's getting. Yeah, and fun fact, the monocle actually suits Lupin because the original yes. Asene Lupin uh, had a monocle. Yeah, so thematically well. it's fitting in. It's upgrading yeah. this ancient French yeah. Uh, novel. Yeah, Yeah, and it's a very like nice, subtle link to what Lupin comes from, yeah. but it doesn't kind of beat you over the head with, hey, we're doing a reference. Yeah, of and it doesn't feel out of place. Like a monocle would feel out of place, but a hacking monocle doesn't. <laughs> Hacking Monocle. Buy one at your local IGA. <laughs> Maybe JB High Five. But it's still overcharged. Yeah. Oh, um, and so they go in and they find that the person who's in charge of, you know, the data and whatnot is an underaged girl in her underwear. Yeah, which is strange. As soon as they enter her yeah. bedroom, the tone of the whole show shifts. You had a very, like, 
gimmicky, you know, 60s, 80s spy feel of him putting on the goofy uh, flight suit and flying down and using a, a remote control car to jam the vents in this cool adventure. And then he breaks into a room. The coloring's different. It's very bright and luminescent like computer screens. Mm. You see a girl that looks kind of like, uh, you know, Horus Neon Genesis kind of anime girl. It's the science quiet kind of nerdy girl uh that's very uh docile and compliant which is very like at odds with kind of the women that lupin yeah is with frujiko and rebecca's yeah. and those kind of in your face brass yeah. women that are sexy and comical this is a child that you know is, is i don't know i feel she's a slight commentary on like japan's weird sexualization of, of women kind of person yeah um yeah she's in underwear she's sleeping she's a very much uh what's like the hidekomori like shut in oh yeah Hitokomori yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, she's got like bin junk and stuff around it's very yeah. common to how a youth would kind of live in a urban yeah Japan. and a bit of a like otaku as yeah, well but yeah. like off the internet in general rather than like being into anime mm. so um, what's Lupin's plan how's he gonna get yeah, out of there and, and this is something that we might come back to later on but he tries to pose as her long lost father and I do wonder how much information Lupin had about Yeah, rewatching it, I'm like, that's actually a really dumb plan. It's a really like, specific plan, yeah. more so than dumb, I think. It's like, why would you assume it's a girl? Why would you assume that you need to be her father? But he did say, like, I'm just going to pose as their family. Yes. Um, but it kind of works out so well to what we know about her later on mm. that um, I do wonder whether there was, like some information like that that typical like Lupin was already 10 steps ahead of the game mm. 10 steps ahead of the viewer um before before we actually got there I in think the that's story. more likely than not mm, mm. um but he walks over arms wide ready to embrace he's like I'm your long lost so father I'm glad to see you again Amy and she pauses and is like my name's not Amy it's Amy. <laughs> Spelled with an I, not a Y. Very subtle nuance you can only get if you speak Japanese. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm Amy with an I. I actually do wonder what the English double do there. Oh, probably the same joke. Amy, then Amy. Yeah. But they could do like, hey, Amy, and it's like, oh, it's actually Ami. That would actually, that would work quite well, though it wouldn't be as funny because the pronunciation would then be a bit different. It's not Amy, it's hi, hi, puffy, Ami, Amy. <laughs> Uh, so she reaches into her underwear and pulls out a gun, which is again a very weird wow. scene. Yeah. Uh, one, because she was sleeping in the bed before this. Yes. So I've got to ask what she was doing with the gun <laughs> in the knickers in the bed. Can we it's not get into that? There's just, just so many thing? ways. Like, is she American? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't uh, want this podcast to be explicit. <laughs> but she pulls out a butt gun and she butt goes gun. to shoot Lupin because she knows for a fact he is not her father. Because uh, he doesn't even know her name. Yeah. So what happens next? So then after that, um, he basically makes a deal with her. You know, they, she cuts through his bullshit. He drops the whole facade. Um, and he's like, look, um, if you give me access to the data, I'll steal anything in the world for you. You know who I am. You know, you know that I can do she it. She a quick Google. She can yeah. access the internet. That's yeah. probably something we should explain. Yes. She's got earrings and implants inside her that yeah. can hook up to... The internet, she calls it Underworld? Yeah, so hello, it's close Underworld. close to my Undernet. She's like, hello, Undernet. And she hacks, first she alerts the base that she's yeah. kept in, and guards start rushing and Jiggin's doing his Jiggin thing. Yeah. But, them. to be honest, from when we first see her, shouldn't it be, hello, Underwear? Yes. <laughs> That's the gun, <laughs> That's the gun. Hello, Underwear. Hello, Underwear. 
Oh, so bad. Um, so she says that she wants to be the person who was stolen. She yes, is she the prize. she wants to be the product that Lupin steals. Yeah, and um, it's implied that the people who profit from Marco Polo are the ones that are keeping her there. Yes. Um, and she's decided that she wants to go out into the real world. Yes. Um, and so after that, they kidnap her, and then we kind of cut to um, fuckboy Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you described him as that. I described him as a Yu Gi Oh character. <laughs> Just some blunt head, bowl cut looking guy in a Vegas Hawaiian shirt, oh. chilling on a deck with a busty Fujiko esque woman. Totally. Like, yeah, they're the most hentai looking yeah. people. It, it actually did take me out a bit because a lot of the character designs in Lupin are pretty. They're pretty good anime designs. They don't yeah. look too out of proportion, but these were like. You know, the ones that you see on the sides of dodgy websites. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the ads for, like, yeah, porn or whatever. But that was all established to show this is some sleazy guy that's yes. watching Lupin from a distance. And yes. he becomes quite frustrated that Lupin's taken mm. this mm. girl, so he has some connection to ownership over her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, they kidnap her, and you learn a little bit more about her. She's kind of... She reminds me of, like, you know, one of those very stereotypically gifted people who mm. don't really know how to socially interact. They don't have, like, proper real-life priorities. Um, yeah. You know, uh, she has a traumatic background, so I wouldn't really say that she's, you know, on the spectrum or no. anything like that. But that but... kind of character seems to be popular in Japan at the moment. It is, um, it in is. In Persona 5, there's a character called... Uh, I'm going to get her name wrong and say a fetish. I don't want to say. Her name is Furuba. Okay. Um, and she has the same ability. She's a hacker. She's a shut-in because of a traumatic past. Yeah. And they rescue her. It's very similar. Which is weird because Persona at parts is clearly inspired by Lupin. Yeah. So I'm like, is now Lupin inspired by no, Persona? I don't think so. It's a trope, it's my dude. Yeah, it's a yeah. trope in like heaps of rom-com stuff. It's just a trope in every single yeah. um, manga slash anime genre. Yeah. They're you know socially inept. They're like monotone. Summer Wars does it to an extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like usually petite and you know it's... A, about how the extroverted, loud, or super ordinary main characters um, teach them yeah. how to. Because I guess that's be a human. fantasy. If you're a petite Japanese girl that's shy, being an elite hacker, or being a guy that wants to meet a super shy girl that's a cool, yes. which is probably more the case, unfortunately. Yeah. That is the fantasy there. So exactly. She's that kind of character. Yeah. How has this become a podcast about weeb culture in general rather <laughs> than just specifically <laughs> weeb culture? <laughs> Lupin has a lot to say about Japan when they spend a whole episode in France. He does. Um, So moving back onto the plot. So, um, you know, Zenigata's found out that this stuff is happening because the owners of Marco Polo have put out a hit on Lupin, basically. Um, And so they're trying to escape. Um, They've set up a mission where the public is now trying to um, get as much access to Lupin as possible. Well, Lupin heads to an airport. Yes. And he notices everyone's looking at him. They all start pulling out their smartphones mm. and he hears like, ding, ding, click, flash, ding. Mm. Everyone is taking photos of him. He's like, what's going on? Mm. No one knows who I am. And everyone's like, oh, that's Lupin, that's Lupin. Turns out, yeah, they've constructed this whole website called the Lupin Game. Yes. And what does the Lupin Game involve? So the Lupin Game involves um, the first person who is able to take down, capture, or kill Lupin um, wins a grand prize from the Marco Polo people. But the whole event is live streamed via a drone, is that right? Yes, yeah. So everyone around the world is watching to see which assassin is going to take down Lupin first. I'd like to just take a moment just to talk about, like, some interesting things they do. Because in this first episode, they address a lot of things that are happening 
in modern times that oh, yeah. didn't happen when previous Lupin stories were made. So first, the idea that we have access to be able to get anything from the internet. Yeah. You know, the fact that there's this black market on the web where you can buy drugs, prostitutes, children even. Like, th- insane. Insane. That's something that's only happened in the last couple of years. And then we have this idea that in society we put everything on our screen. Yes. You know, if there is something like someone who's being very rude or there's a fight or something embarrassing happens, people immediately get out their phones, start mm. recording it. The fact that any experience we have, we have to put on the gram, yeah. you know, on Instagram, whatever it is. And they use really good editing techniques here to yes. show this because they will always cut in the middle of actions to live stream yes. feeds of comments in some kind of chat room mm. or Facebook or something mm. like that. And it doesn't work so well when you watch with subtitles. But yeah. you see they're running conversation of yeah. random anonymous users commenting a loop on and everything he does and uh it puts a lot of pressure on the narrative as well because Lupin's under the spotlight, under a magnifying glass for the first time in his career. And that can only happen because of the advent of modern technology. Yeah. A camera can only fly around and follow you because of we have drones yeah. now. Yeah. And it also speaks to that fact of... And I mean, this is not something as new because it's been happening for well over a decade. But the fact that, you know, it's that idea that we're, we all have extreme opinions about things and we're all arguing and talking and... We engage um, in stuff that's none of our business. Yes. Because it's uh, broadcast. To us. Exactly. It's no kinda... one cares about Lupin. No one really worries if he's not stealing from them. But yeah. he's now something subject matter that's interesting because mm. everyone else is interested in him. Exactly. And um, you know, some of the comments that you read are really rude and awful and inhumane. And it's kind of almost a commentary to the YouTube comment section. Yep. Um, and and that's how it kind of looks on the screen. It's like this running comment section um, that's kind of commentating on the Lupin episode that you're watching, which is really interesting. And going back to that meta analysis is that there is a part of the story where the, there is an audience watching Lupin and it's them having a discussion about Lupin whilst us, the audience are watching him, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Um, And then the other part of it was the fact that we are constantly under surveillance, which I think is a really interesting thing to talk about. Um, the advent of drone technology, um, being able to upload things mm. on social media, you know, checking in, tagging yourself in places. So it's about how can some of these people, these people who hide in shadows, mm. and that was a quote that comes back, you know, the thieves live in the shadows, all is right in the world. This idea that no, actually, there is no shadow. Yeah. The concept of a shadow doesn't exist. Well- it dares to ask the question that would usually be genre-destroying. Yes. Like, when you really sit down to think about, like, a modern-day superhero or Batman yes. or Catwoman kind yes. of scenario, these characters could not exist no. in the world because you can easily track them, tag them, figure out who they yeah. are, DNA tests, cameras, photos, yeah. everyone can take a selfie. That is a huge problem to overcome, and largely yes. writers ignore that fact. Yes. But Lupin looks the camera dead <laughs> in the face and is like, no, we're going to deal with the fact yeah. that Lupin is nigh impossible to exist in the modern world. How will he exist? And yes. that's what the first arc uh, tackles is, he's this criminal character from 50 years ago. How is he going to survive in the modern day and age um, when he can be broadcast and live-streamed everywhere? Yeah. How can a thief continue to be a thief out in the daylight, like you said? Yeah. Yeah. And... The idea of Lupin has always been he's not a normal thief. No. He is a he thief. He a challenge and vaults over it. Exactly. So basically, Lupin's biggest challenge in this season is 
the year 2018 is the internet. All the millennials. Yeah, Lupin versus millennial culture. Boomers versus Zoomers. The yeah. ultimate fight. Yeah. <laughs> Boomers versus Zoomers. I feel like a Zooper Duper now. Oh, uh, man. Oh, man, I should have put some in the fridge. But yeah, and that's definitely the impetus for the whole series yeah. in general. Which but... is the ultimate gauntlet to throw at Lupin. Yes. And it's ludicrous to throw that because... If you are not a good enough writer to write out of that scenario, you've destroyed the character. How yeah. can you possibly have progress if you can't overcome this yeah. issue that you've brought up? Yeah, it's so interesting that a lot of the show this season is... Oh, you know, we're doing a Lupin show, but a Lupin show shouldn't make sense right now. No. It's kind of like itself... It's shooting itself in the feet, yeah. almost. Uh, it's like, I want to see really how long weird. I can hold my breath underwater yeah. for, and they don't come up for an uncomfortable amount of time. At like, all. Oh. Uh, it's, yeah, but you know what? I mean, spoiler alert, they make it work. It's something oh, that, yeah. you know, um, I think... Yeah, it was both of our favourite shows of last year. Probably. It was mine, definitely. Yeah. Yours, would you say? Yeah, but I think that's mainly because... TV wasn't that great last year. Yeah, look, there were some good things. Yeah. A bit fractured. I Anyways. did start My Hero Academia late, so I didn't yeah. do that watch it. But Lupin, yeah, was up yeah. there, way up yeah. there. So, going back to the story, so, um, they st- it starts to get a bit international now, yes. because, you know, Lupin's trying to um, prove that he can't be captured, but, you know, our drones are there, um, they, they constantly have those social media updates of where he is on his globetrotting adventure, until finally, it, it, it heats up a bit, assassins are starting to come after Lupin now. Yeah, well, he, he wants to step out of the light, because he doesn't want to be found by these assassins. Yes. So he heads to the wonderful, sunny country of Wanda? 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 Kinder Bueno, which is an underrated chocolate. I agree. Um, And he travels to this country that's outside of the jurisdiction of um, Zeningada and the international police. Yes. Uh, And how does he combat the Lupin game? Well, he kind of doesn't because they have this amazing scene where he's in this kind of very rural African area and, you know, they drive past and this... You know, this little kid who looks like he might be living in poverty rips out a smartphone and takes a picture, which I I remember That's watching that. fascinating commentary on it. So funny. I had to pause because I just burst out laughing. And it's it's so representative of what they want to talk about this season. And, and again, I don't think I've ever seen a Lupin story where the writers were so obvious about what they've they're oh, interested yeah. in right now and what the, the series is about. Mm. It's honestly... This season is not at all about story. It's much more about relating Lupin to a particular idea or a particular Mm. time, which I found really interesting. So yeah, they're running around a little bit. Zenigata joins in. Lupin Lupin and Ami... Did we even mention her name as Ami? Yeah, we did. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Ami. Lupin and Ami separate from um, Jigen and Goemon. Um, and so then we have like a really lovely episode where Zenigata and Lupin are escaping with Ami. And again, this, this was when I kind of first started to think, oh, this is a really meta, meta textual series of Lupin because Ami basically is the voice of the Lupin Tumblr fandom when yes. talking about the two. Um, they talk about them potentially, like, you know, being lovers and Zenigata being obsessed with them. And yeah. We've, well, we've had a lot of, um, 
Lupin characters where a lot of stories where he kind of teams up with a younger female character and acts as yes. a mentor figure to them and often um, they're inspired by him they mm. look straight mm. up to him immediately mm. and they're raptured with everything he is and they don't really question him Ami is a really interesting pairing for him because yes. she's not feeding him raw charisma. She's no. skeptical of everything that Lupin yes. is and she's asking a lot of questions about who and what Lupin is and trying to evaluate um, if she's made a mistake putting herself in Lupin's company. And and that's, yeah, like you said, reflective of the fan base uh, trying to ask questions about, well, what is Lupin in 2018? Mm. Uh, where can you go with Lupin? Is, and we had the whiplash of going from a woman named Fujiko Mine, which is a much darker series, to part four, which is much more colorful and bright. So in part five, we weren't really sure what to expect. We thought it would just kind of be part four again. But it's really asking, like, yeah, what kind of tone is Lupin? Who is Lupin? What does Lupin do? And Amy's asking those questions too. Yeah, and I would say that to answer the tone question, you know, the Italian one was more um, like swashbuckling yeah. sort of a tone. This is... Um, a modern thriller. Yeah. This this really much felt, very much felt like a modern thriller. Um, but it, it was a modern thriller, but I would say that this type of thriller isn't even something that's made in the movies anymore because now the big movies are all yeah, superhero kind of like your, your things. Global kind of fugitive yeah. romp. Kind of like like, you know, the Bourne movies yeah. and stuff like that, which now how weird is it to say that that genre feels vintage? Oh, yeah. Because you've got to have your big... Yeah. I am Galactus, destroyer yeah. of cities. Bwah. We accidentally injected him with an experiment. Yeah. So even yeah. though this is so modern, it almost feels kind of a bit done now. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that is besides the point. The, the, the point is that it's talking about Lupin in, relate, in relation to the modern world and modern society. And so um, we have both of them. They they kind of form a little bit of a bond. Yeah. You know, it, they kind of talk a little bit more about how Zenigata isn't really his, you know, isn't really a villain to Lupin, but is kind of. They just... do go as so far as to question, "Are you guys lovers?" Yeah, and guys... Lupin thinks it's the funniest idea yeah. and plays into it, and Zeni is repulsed. That he's is... not even repulsed. He full on blushes. Yeah. Like there's a part of him that knows that there's some truth to it there because you know he obviously likes Lupin as a person. And again, when we talk about the final batch of episodes, he says some really interesting stuff that relates to what mm. our head canon for the yes. two has always been. Um, but you know, he it kind of hints that hey, we've never actually talked about this in the show before, but they don't hate each other. Yeah. They actually quite like each we, other. We got a few moments in part four yes. of when he locked up uh, Lupin. Yeah, and, yeah. But yeah, this time, this this acknowledges that this is an ongoing developing issue between mm-hmm. them, that mm-hmm. their relationship is changing. They're not just black and white cat and mouse anymore. Exactly. They are like the Tom and Jerry movie where they started talking and being best friends and things got very bizarre and complicated. Yes. It's not just your grandma's Tom and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> just um, so yeah, but then that ends with um, Fujiko being involved as well. Yep. Which um, we expected because we kept getting cuts of her. But what's interesting when we cut to Fujiko, not related to the main story yet, she's hanging out with guys and doing her Fujiko thing, but she's acting like she's not into Lupin yes. anymore. Which is... There is a distance, yeah, isn't there? Which felt really jarring yes. to us because coming off part four, she, the, big, the whole question part four was like, is Lupin... You know, going to end up with Rebecca or Fujiko. They were kind of playing mm. them off against each mm. other. Fujiko seemed really jealous that Lupin got married. Totally. Uh, and we're like, okay, are they actually building to a Lupin Fujiko relationship? Yeah. He rejects Rebecca, and this is 
suggestion is he's got his eyes on Fujiko still. Yeah. And then it felt like something was really amiss about their relationship. And the, the I immediately knew there was something wrong because Lupin didn't use his monkey voice with her. Yes. He has his voice changes when he's with Fujiko when he's mucking around yes. with her. But he was totally straight. Fujiko drops down on a parachute after all the other assassins are done with and yeah. is like, I'm going to be the one to kill you and take yeah. all this money. And Fujiko isn't like, oh, Fujiko, you're still yeah. killing me. He's like, oh, it's yeah. you. He like, doesn't call her Fujikakes no. at all this series. No, in fact, I'm not exactly sure when it is, but he does have a conversation with Zenigata. And Zenigata's like, don't you like call her Fujikakes? Yeah. Like, not anymore. Not She's, anymore. And they're not interested in each other. And that was so bizarre that to experience so for the first wild. time. Yeah. I was like, what, what is wrong? What has happened? And it is that question mark that created this podcast. Because yeah. that's what got us to talk. More so than even the modern links. It was, what happened between Lupin and Fujiko? Yeah. That got us to kind of create this headcanon mm. for it. And I had this big grand theory of what had happened. Yeah. Which actually ends up happening. Yeah. Well, the, the end credits of yes. the, even the first episode yes. is these bizarre shots yes. of... Yes. First of all, it's your standard Fujiko rolling around naked and yeah. obscured, and you're like, okay, whatever. But then there's shots of her like waking up on a bed, uh, saying goodbye, writing out in lipstick somewhere. There's like a uh, wedding dress her somewhere. By herself, mm. yeah. Then like it cuts to nearly like a fantasy scape of mm. her drinking beers with all the main characters, even Zenigata. Uh, and you're like, what is What's going happening? on? How much of this is surreal, and how much is this actually like a raw stream of Fujiko's thoughts. thoughts exactly yeah and the thing is for a season which until the end is not at all about Fujiko why would the end theme be so, so Fujiko, Fujiko heavy? heavy it felt like going back to woman named Fujiko Mine exactly so anyways we'll talk about that a little bit later but um yeah so she starts to get involved and um, she seems more of like an antagonist and even kind of Goemon and Jigen yeah they're really hostile to her I mean yeah. they've always been hostile they have always <laughs> yeah yeah but they're like no you're an actual threat to us right now exactly so yeah we have kind of more kind of you know um, escapades with um, assassins one of them's a dude with the fishing rod. Yeah, there's a really amazing character designs here. Yeah. And they're all just dispatched yeah. instantly. They're just sliced in half by going one shot by chicken. There's like a mole guy in a blanket. Yeah, there's the there's... Nizumi Dan, which is the, the, the um, mouse gang or yeah. the rat gang or whatever, um, who kind of come back a little bit yeah, later actually... on too. We become relevant leader. Yeah. yeah, there's like a guy. He's just an assassin of the fishing rod. Yeah, it's, I mean, I want to watch a whole season about that guy. <laughs> there was an anime I watched when I was a kid, which was like battle fishing. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what it was called, and it's plagued me to this day. Weebs, if you are listening to this, was there an anime in the early to mid '90s that was about fishing? Please hit us up because it that's has what a 2020 my... podcast is going to be about. <laughs> fishing king, <laughs> fishing. Wow, what if it was actually that? Anyways, back to the story. So it then ends with um, Lupin getting shot. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And we've seen Lupin die on screen before. But this time felt more serious. Very real. Because all the assassins are betting on the day Lupin will die. Exactly. They've moved on, evolved the Lupin game. It's now whoever kills Lupin gets a big fat sum of money. Yeah, and the day that's been bet on to win is the one that... Fujiko chose. Yes. Which is very suspect. So, yeah, he gets shot. Um, Zenigata is there, which kind of adds to the drama of mm. it, the fact that Zenigata let him die. And, yes. and Zenigata has been helping him. He's been trying to... Cause, and he says, like, you know, I don't want you to die. I no. want to I wanna put you behind bars. He wants bars. to redeem Lupin. Yeah. He wants to 
turn Lupin into his personal friend that doesn't steal anymore. Yeah. He wants Lupin to give up the life. Yeah, I would... Man, I would really love an episode that is like my dinner with Andre, but it's Zenigata <laughs> and Lupin, and it's just about Zenigata going, why? Yeah, yeah. Why? You could be doing so much good in this world, because Lupin is probably the smartest person in this universe. Yes. I would say. I would 100% he say he is the smartest. Except in the sixth episode. But in the <laughs> first five, definitely. <laughs> but no, that's the point of that episode yeah, too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that he's so incredibly clever. Um, anyways, moving on. So he gets shot. Um, Ami is now an orphan and goes to live with Zenigata for a couple of months. But that eventually, um, goes to, goes to the shits because Ami gets kidnapped by the Marco Polo people who are very pissed off with her betraying Mm. them. And she, is this, is this at this point where she experiences her taste of life? Um, kind of. She she experiences a bit of it when it's um him, Lupin, and Zenigata, her Lupin and Zenigata going through the desert and things like that. And um, yeah, they're just talking about like how to survive in the desert, and she tries to give it a hot Google. Yeah. Um, and there's just some really like really funny jokes there about how she hates going outside. Mm. But she does have a breaking point where she realizes she nearly dies, and she realizes she's wasted her whole life living in her bedroom watching anime and discussing anime in a podcast, and she should be (laughs) out there in the real world, (laughs) living it up, experiencing what it means to live the the highs and the lows of life. It's so ironic, because right now we're looking out to my backyard where my lemon tree is, and it's like this perfect 30 degree day, beautiful sunlight. You even told me before, you're like, oh, when it's a hot day, I don't sit inside and watch anime anymore. I always have to go out and enjoy the world. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do a weird podcast. Just trying to evolve from my weeb compulsions, Benjamin. I know. God damn it. But you're also wearing a one-piece t-shirt, so... Well, you're wearing a freaking Animal Crossing one, so screw you, dude. No one knows what that is. (laughs) How is Animal Crossing not part of the zeitgeist? It's so... I feel like it would appeal to so many people. Definitely a high population of uh, women and children. Yeah, but it's more popular in Japan compared to here, right? The last game grew significantly. It really depends what they do with the Switch, which now has one of the biggest install bases for it. Yeah. 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 All right, moving on. So next time. Yeah, so um, then she, in a very almost James Bond plot, gets um, put in this underground um, base. Um, They tried to drown her to try and get her to reveal how to get back all of the data and the money. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, Lupin shows up and... Like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect Lupin to come yeah, back. Yeah, guys, you he know... faked his death? <laughs> what? That's crazy! <laughs> I thought we were going to get a whole season without him. And what I really love about that is that the resolution of it is technology. The only reason that Lupin survived was because he uses a drone to make it look like he got shot. So, oh, doesn't he? He just puts like a Snapchat filter. Yeah, Snapchat the filter. Basically, like, oh, yeah. right, I'm gonna put this one on. Yeah, and when yeah, you take yeah. a photo, I look like I'm dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. They hack like a drone and they put yeah. a Snapchat filter on it, which is which so is, 2018. I know it's so dumb but so brilliant. Yeah, it's because these things, you know, technically could exist, yes. but they're using them in ridiculous high fantasy yeah. scenarios, so it works. Yeah, even to the extent of like when the Marco Polo people are thinking that they're torturing her. It's actually just another Snapchat filter yes. that ma- is making it look like she's drowning. 
Um, yeah, and it has a really cool ending where Zenigata is able to take the Marco Polo people away. Um, and it also, what I thought was really, really interesting was that, you know, Lupin confronts the the owner of Marco Polo mm. and he, you know, he's like, hey man, look, if you want to do it, let's just do it in person. Like, you know, do you think you can take me on? And the Marco Polo guy totally craps his pants. He's not able to take on Lupin because the, if, the thing is, even though Lupin is a classic thief, but he's beaten him at his own game and it kind of represents this fact that a lot of people who think that they have power right now are just hiding behind their screens. Yes. It's that whole thing of, you know, internet trolls and yeah. people who start, you know, hating things on the internet and stuff. Your fan base and your social status you acquire yeah. through social media is not tangible yeah. things. You can't have that and maintain possession in the real world. It's just something that exists for a temporary time mm. uh, until it's destroyed and then it's gone mm. forever, yeah. And the true, true people who win are the people who actually... Um, do their actions with conviction, mm. you know, and that's the thing. Lupin is a man of conviction. He never half-asses anything. Yeah. He is always true to himself and will go forward in any action. He will take the risk. He will put his life on the line mm. because um, that's who he is. He he never wants to hide behind anything. Yeah. I guess so. It was a really cool ending to that arc. Um, and then we have Ami. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. how that story wraps up? Ami does what every anime 12 year old will do at some point in their lives and enrolls in a private boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she decides she wants to live. She doesn't want to sit in a basement mm. eating ramen for the yeah. rest of her life. So she enrolls in a boarding school and Lupin drops her off at school mm. as kind of like a pseudo father figure at the close of the arc. And at this point, were you expecting to see Ami again? Or did you think. I thought her arc was closed. I did not expect to see her again. And they have a very interesting conversation where Ami talks to Lupin a little bit about why he does the thing that he does. And his answer is, well, I wouldn't be Lupin if I didn't do it. Which is such an important thing that we're going to have to come back to um, as we continue. That's kind of the theme of the whole Mm, series. mm, Yeah. Um, yeah, and it inspires her. She's very, she suddenly sees Lupin in a different light. And, a little bit of an uncomfortable light because for a moment it suggested that maybe she's in love yeah. with Lupin. Yeah. Uh, but she, there's definitely something about Lupin that's now captivating to her uh, that she wants to find for herself. Mm. And she's going to start at school because that's the best place to find mm. yourself. Yeah, and it's interesting how you were talking about how we always have these um, female figures who um, kind of look up to Lupin as a mentor and stuff like that. And how at the start, we didn't have that. She no. she was combating him at every turn. Yeah. But once she saw how much he held to his convictions, she, she was inspired um, by that, which I found really interesting. Mm. So, And we feel the same way when yes. we watch Lupin. Yes, we, exactly. When we, I mean, when I first saw it, I wasn't sure about it. Um, I just really liked uh, Cagliostro. I'm like, I doubt this holds up further than this movie. And you had had it suggested to you, and you weren't sure. But then, as soon as we understood what the charm of Lupin is, yeah. what the, how fun the adventures he goes on is, and how his adventures can be anything, uh, then there's definitely like an addictive element to that. Yes, exactly. Um, what were your overall impressions of this story arc, man? Um, I I would say at the end of just the first arc, 
I wasn't enjoying it as much as part four. Okay. Uh, part four had such exciting episodes right out the gate that were standalone in kind of their presentation. Yeah. I felt there was a bit more venture, a bit more yeah. style and flair to mm-hmm. it. I, I wasn't quite understanding where this season would go at this point yeah. of the first arc. Army was cool, but I didn't love the character yet. Yeah. I liked the dynamics, but I was really confused at the continuity between part four and five. Because they seem to be making connections that part four had happened. But yeah, like Lupin and Fujiko's relationship yes. had hit the rocks and something was weird there. Um, Zenigato obviously still maintained a relationship, so that yeah. was probably the highlight for me. But it's something felt off because I didn't understand why they told this as their first arc. Uh, the technology aspect travel was really cool. Yeah. That felt like a really natural... Because like, when I heard they were doing part five immediately after part four, I'm like what is it going to be about? How can they possibly... I just thought they'd do the same thing. But they really tackled a really good challenge and set themselves a goal. And that really uh, brought new life to Lupin. Yeah. I looked at him through a completely different lens in part five than I did in part four. Yeah, um, I felt a bit of whiplash, personally. Yes. Um, just because I thought that this... They're trying to modernise him too much and he's feeling more more like a mainstream character than the fantasized kind of concept that I had of him before. I I was worried this season would get old real fast and there would not be anything else to tell about Lupin. Yeah. Um, But then what really hooked me were the discrepancies, actually. The Mm. parts where Lupin wasn't acting like himself around Fujiko and that's that's what immediately hooked me because I was like, oh, there's a story here. There is something here that is to be told. Um, And I think at this point, even though I had some of the ideas that I had later on in the series about the story um, they wanted to tell in relation to modern technology and whether Lupin as a concept would exist in 2018, what really motivated me was, okay, where are these characters now? Because I think the characters are in a slightly different place to where they were at the end of part four. And that that got me really hooked. Mm. That answer, unfortunately, was... Wouldn't be given up until later on. Yes. Though, and even then, yeah. it's, it's more implied than actually yes. shown. But yeah. that's to its strength. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I had my theory um, about what happened between Lupin and Fujiko around this time. Yes. For, because we of the ending thing. began theorizing yeah. between us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I was... I, I, I was hooked in certain areas, but I, I was definitely of the same kind of area where I thought the story wasn't as fun and interesting mm. as some of the part four stuff yeah. was. Um, I mean, we didn't get a freaking resurrected Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, that who was wanted kind to of turn, amazing. <laughs> who wanted to turn all of Italy into Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, yeah. That well, was... that's the thing. You went from a season about, yeah, Leonardo da Vinci to, oh, there's, like, child traffickers in yeah. this world. You're like, yeah. oh... Yeah, something we neglected to mention was that Ami um, was kidnapped or taken from somewhere um, when she was a little girl um, to be sold into child slavery and child pornography. But because she was a very gifted child with um, computers in particular, um, she ended up being mixed up with the, you know, the dark net and everything like that and being used more as an asset Mm. rather than um, a victim. Mm. And, and that was a plot line that, whilst dark, made sense of the modern day dressing technology. It did. These are realities that happen yeah. that we don't want to talk about it. Um, but and, it didn't feel like a Lupin no, story. It felt though. like another anime. Like, yes. that's the plot of what's that anime where they have guns and they can only shoot them if a psychopath. They can only shoot the guns if the person's like a criminal. Is that what it is? that what psychopath is? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I thought it was a sports anime. 
like psychopaths if playing the sport volleyball. Is being the police and shooting <laughs> criminals and making them explode when that happens, then yes, you could consider that a sport. But uh, all lives matter, Ben. Yes. No, wait, no, retract that. I don't want to say anything political. And you can. Edit I that would out. like to go on the record saying all lives matter. I don't know about Cleon's personal politics that he's not committing to. I think all humans are equal and all their lives matter. End of statement. <laughs> but, um Army's life mattered, and Lupin recognized that. Um, and Cute. whilst whilst dark. Lupin is a big enough character that he can go to these dark subplots yeah. and still be a hero, although it is slightly jarring. And mm. it's intentionally jarring, I think, to yeah. put Lupin in these situations for this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of goes back to something that we said in our pilot episode, which was that you throw Lupin and his gang into literally any world or theme, tone, story, they will work somehow. Yeah. They will adapt. They are they are the strongest Darwinists that we've ever seen. They are He's really more of a Houdini than he is of a oh, master thief. His yeah. ability to break out of a genre and escape it is yes. phenomenal. Yes. Um so yeah, I think at this point we're a bit iffy, but still I think enjoying it. Oh yeah. Um, largely. Um, okay, so that's probably that's probably it for our episode. Of yeah. Part one, yeah. Yeah, so our next episode will be on the part two storyline. No. Episode two. So they each story arc um, is labeled as an episode, but they cover multiple episodes mm. in the series. What we'll do is in our episode descriptions, we will say which episodes from the season that we yeah. are covering. Yeah. Okay. So on social media, we are Asinine Lupin on Facebook. We are Asinine Lupin on Twitter. I don't think I have any other social media outlets for us, but I'll probably make something like a Tumblr and stuff like that. um, Because I do think that um, a lot of the Lupin fan base does exist on Tumblr. Probably. Yeah. Well, it's still there now that they've banned Fujiko porn. Oh, yeah! Wait! (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely was, like, surprised at that and then went, "Mm, you shouldn't be genuinely surprised by that. That was a whole thing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, a lot of people got their panties in a twist. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... had a gun in them, but... <laughs> Hello, underwear. <laughs> so you can find us on social media. Yeah. Um, so make sure you like and subscribe. Yes, please um, follow our Facebook page. Please rate us on um, Pocket Casts, um, iTunes. Um, yeah, we would really appreciate your support. We don't really know... Uh, whether there are too many Lupin the Third podcasts around, just but... just grab your friend by the shoulders, sit him down, and say, "Buddy, tonight you and I are going to watch Lupin the Third. <laughs> just we don't care how you respond to this podcast. Just go watch this brilliant anime yes. and enjoy it in any way and as much of it as you want. Definitely. Um, so I just thought we'll end off by kind of talking a little bit more about ourselves. So what are the current things that you'd recommend or some interests um, that you have right Ooh, now, Ben? Um, on the topic of Japan, um, I have been uh, sitting inside on a very hot, you know, summery Australian day. And I was like, you know what would be great right now mm. if I was a Yakuza member? So I downloaded uh, a game from the Yakuza franchise made uh-huh. by Sega, which I'd never played before, but I'd started to hear some things. It's like, mm pick up popularity in the west i downloaded uh yakuza zero um which is a game where you play as a member of the yakuza um and there's a whole like very straight lay serious uh drama going on of bosses betraying each other and you've been set up and framed 
What no one really informed me is the game. That's just the story setting for the game. The game itself is a like eleven out of ten Japan simulator. <laughs> uh, so, so you do all these missions and you beat up guys and the combat's cool. I can talk about that later. But but between missions in your downtime, you are in the eighties walking around a photorealistic Japan. Like all the shop fronts, you can't really interact with too much in the streets. But all the shop fronts look like Japan. There's advertisements. Is it on PS4? Like, uh, yes, there's oh. advertisements. You'd love this so much. Yeah. There's advertisements like Japan. People hand out tissues on the street corners. Oh my gosh. Uh, you, I. The first thing I did when I got out of like the main story is I walked into a like a Seven Eleven kind of store, convenience store, and I bought a tuna rice bowl, which is exactly what I did every morning when <laughs> I was in real Japan. I'm like, what the heck? Yo, low key, no. the best recommendation we'll ever make on this podcast is that Seven Eleven. Has dope breakfast food. Yes. You can get corn dogs for breakfast and onigiri and karage for yeah, breakfast. Yeah, pork buns. They've got microwaves if you brought your own breakfast. Oh, jeez. I so wish good. our 7 Elevens were better. Oh. Um, but so in your downtime as a Yakuza, the game is contrast with this serious Yakuza drama with goofy as heck Japanese aesthetic. You can go to a karaoke hall and play a karaoke mini game where while singing with all the lyrics on screen it cuts to like a band and you're wearing like a headband and stuff. Um, you can go to like a slot car racing place and there's a full game system yeah. for customizing your slot car and he races it like it's watching an episode of Beyblades. Like he's like, come on car! And it like races and then like if it goes too fast it'll come off the rails in slow motion and you'll have to like mash a button and to like straighten out the car and then when he wins he like celebrates and like holds it up like he's holding a Pokeball or something like it's amazing. He it's go- made by Rockstar. No, no, no. It's made by Sega. It's oh. very, very Japanese in wow. its design. But um, while you're on the streets, people will come up to you and like, "Hey, you look a cool guy. Do you want to help you on a mission?" Not knowing you're a yakuza. And then you'll be caught up in a wild story. Um, some of the stories I've helped a uh, dominatrix become more confident in herself and become a Aww. dominatrix. Um, she was just a shy girl, and I helped her. I helped a uh, like a pop punk. Oh, sorry, like a like a like a metal band in Japan who all they wanted to do was hug puppies. I taught them how to be metal to impress their fans um, with my Yakuza skills. And then the best mission I've done is Steven Spielberg asked me to direct the thriller film clip for Michael Jackson, who they call in the game Miracle Johnson. And Steven spinning, but it's very clearly Michael Jackson and Steven Spielberg. They look like him. And the mission was zombies are coming and attacking Michael Jackson in the street, and you have to use your Yakuza skills to beat him off before they hit Michael Jackson too many times. And that was just Japan interpreting Michael Jackson was just it was beautiful. It's such a goofy game, and combat's really cool because you're just being in the street and like Yakuza guys. It's like that's the like walking around life simulator. You can go fishing if you want, and then like Yakuza guys will jump you in the street, and you have to go. You go into like Street Fighter kind of fighting, but you have like three different main forms. You've got like your standard like heavy brawler form. And you've got like your uh, beast, like called beast mode, and you're like much more kind of like grappling, and you can pick up objects in the environment, like bicycles, and hit them. And then you've got like your, I forget what they call it, boost mode, and you can like dodge, and you're very yeah. nimble and quick. And when you change mode, the music changes, and the tempo changes, and it just feels really good to beat up people. And then the, the actions are over the top. So like you'll grab someone's head and like throw them like a baseball, and yeah. they'll spin, and blood and money will yeah. pour out. And it's just fun. Like I've heard, I've a heard very good things. Japanese game, and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying that at the moment. Nice. No, I, I honestly, I might buy it after yeah. work tomorrow. Yeah, suggest it. Sounds so good. Um, I have recently become addicted to this anime called Chihaya Furu. Have you heard of that before? No, I've heard of Chai Tea. <laughs> well, I'm Indian, so I've heard of Chai Tea. Tea Tea. Yeah, I've heard of T Two. T Two. Overrated. Overrated. Okay. 
IMO, um, TBH. Um, so Chihaya Furu is a, basically it's a very typical, wholesome, uh, shonen sports anime that takes place in high school. And what's the sport? The sport is the most esoteric thing I've ever seen in my life. So it's this game called Karuta, which basically just means card game in Japanese, but it's this Japanese card game that's super traditional, comes from like very, very long time ago. And basically there are these hundreds... Is it a real game? It is. It okay. is. It's a real sport. You can. I'll, I'll show you YouTube videos okay. of this because it's a wild thing. So there are these hundred poems. They're like these really like um, philosophical, whatever, deep poems. And you put like 20 to 30 cards on the floor and you and your opponent are just kind of like, you know, sitting over the cards. And either a person or a audio tape plays the poems in a randomized order and as soon as you hear the first part of the poem the person who selects the card first gets to take it what a bizarre game yeah and so the person who takes the most cards from hearing the poem first and recognizing which one on the mat is the poem wins and they and, made 20 episodes out of this uh there's two seasons so they made 50, 40 episodes there's 50 episodes oh my gosh and then there's another 25 that's gonna be um starting soon this year oh my gosh three. it's I think it's a really more so almost than the anime the sport or card game or what I'm affectionately calling card sport <laughs> is really cool because it has auditory memory and auditory discrimination from being able to hear a syllable from a poem and immediately being able to recognize which poem it is. Mm. Two, you have to recognize a hundred poems and each poem is like, you know, a couple of sentences. So you have to have that kind of rote, learnt knowledge of that. Wait, so is each card a separate poem or is there a hundred different variations? So there's a hundred poems be? and there are a hundred cards in each deck. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and the, the deck is the same. So that doesn't, the poems don't change. Um, but then you also have the poems written in like the Japanese writing. I don't know if it's kanji or hiragana or katakana, but you have to have really good visuospatial skills and visual memory skills because you line up the cards in a certain way. And so you have to link your auditory discrimination to the poem, to the visual memory, and then your hands have to physically be fast to be the first Mm. person to grab or hit the card. And yeah, I'll show you a video of it later on, but it is the most esoteric, insane thing that I've ever seen. That's bizarre. I know. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I had never heard of it until my friend Zach told me about the anime, and now I'm just obsessed with the concept of the card sport. And the anime itself is also really, really So how much screen time is, like, the sport, and how much is, like, just the characters? Um, I would say that 70% of each episode is them playing the game. Really? That's what impresses... I don't understand how you can write that to be that interesting. There's a lot of, like, internal monologue. And they make it, like, the way they direct it is it's like you're watching an action movie, but they're just playing this low-key card Mm. game. Yeah, um, it's really, really good. Like, genuinely one of the best animes I've seen from the last couple of years. Very well animated. The art style is really refreshing because it's typical shoujo art style, but it's Mm. not at all shoujo genre. It's very much like the sports shonen anime sort of stuff. So So do do you see this game catching on in Western schools? It's Uh, And then the teacher's like, hey, you can't play... Poetry? Poetry. Behind the dumpster? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll trade you... William Blake for uh, <laughs> Shakes. I don't know many. Poets. I actually think that if there should be an English, well, there I've might got an be. Ultra I need a rare it holographic AA milk. <laughs> ultra rare holographic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a triple AA milk. 
but the cards are only powered by AAA batteries. <laughs> you have a battery into a car. <laughs> that would be an interesting take on the technology. That's an interesting idea. I do want to look up to see if there's an English equivalent because it's such an interesting and as I don't think I'll say our what our poems are too long though. Yeah, our poems are too long. Maybe like proverbs. Maybe we can do oh, ones for proverbs. Yeah. Um, Dude, I'm gonna do this with Bible verses and get. I was just gonna Christianly say Christianly going. <laughs> going, yeah. Um, but it's just really cool that you need to be really good. Like, from so many different sensory systems, your hearing, your memory, your vision, your motor movement, there's so many things involved, and I genuinely respect it quite a lot. And it's interesting because they talk about it in the anime, how the best person in this sport can be an old person, a woman, a man, a child. It actually, like, there are no physical age or gender boundaries to it. Um, which I find really, really interesting. So, yeah, check it out, Chihaya Furu. It's um, on streaming on Crunchyroll, so if you do watch anime on Crunchyroll, whether you have subscription or not, you can um, watch it there. So, yeah, that's what yeah, I've been into. Interesting. That was not the recommendation I was expecting. <laughs> Alright, so um, we will be back with episode two in a couple of weeks' time, everyone. So, enjoy yourselves. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.